him is somebody I respect. He's in the, the upper echelon of all the people that God's allowed me to know and, and respect. Uh, it, Tim Troy is one of them. I've known him for, what, Tim, 25 years or something longer? That sounds like I'm really old. I'm, I'm not. I was a child preacher when I, when I met Tim. Uh, but Tim, you know, we're talking the, the first couple of, we, we said the first few months of this year, we're going to talk about generosity and hospitality and some contemplative prayer stuff. And so Tim's going to come talk about generosity. It's something that's part of his life. And as long as I've known him, but God's taken him on a really interesting journey. He's going to tell you a little bit about it tonight or uh, this afternoon. Uh, actually, this morning. <laughs> I'm working it in. Hope that the teaching won't be that long, just in case. <laughs> uh, buckle your seatbelt. So Tim, why don't you come up here and let's, let's pray for Tim. And uh, I want to encourage you guys just to open your hearts and welcome him. So... <clears throat> Uh, Father, we thank you for Tim and his life and uh, all you've done uh, in his life and then, and then through him. And uh, we pray that, that you would give us what's on your heart for us and, and that there would be a blessing that would come back on Tim. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm going to put this up here because we're having trouble with our sound. Okay. Am I doing anything wrong? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> if I speak to this e- till this evening, no. <laughs> well, I'm really um, just delighted to be here with you, and and I just appreciate John and uh, Kathy so much, and we have been friends for a really long time, and I just feel like it was a real um, providential divine appointment to meet them, and, and uh, John has just really sowed into my life over the years, and um, been a great blessing, and so I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. Um, I was a pastor for about 19 years, and I made a transition about uh, 10, 10 or 11 years ago, and um, too, too long a story to give completely, but I made a transition. I am now just a civilian, kind of a, a business guy, you know. And I laugh. I tell my pastor, you know, I show up at church. I'm like, make me spiritual, you know. <laughs> I'm not being fed. <laughs> and, I'll, you know, I just have a lot of fun. But um, I, um, while I was a pastor, I started a, um, a little nonprofit organization, a mission organization called The Reckoning International. And I think John told you a little bit, um, a story about, you know, how when we started we were working in Nepal and we redeemed some people out of slavery and had just some, you know, really amazing things happen. And, and um, that was the birthplace of the little organization that I have. And I'm a business coach by profession. I'm, I'm an executive business coach. And then I own a couple of other businesses and but basically, I, I believe that my, my mission in life never changed in making a transition from, you know, being a pastor. I believe that I was born to help people come to their full potential. That that's why I was born and that I delight in knowing that that's the mission of my life. To help people come to their full potential. So I do that every day as a business coach. Um, and, you know, I coach some businesses here in Ohio and, and overseas. And, and, um, and then in the reckoning, I kind of do what I do in my day job. I coach really poor people in developing countries and help them start some livelihood projects and make a living and make a life. And I, I believe it's all connected to generosity. I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I don't think I'm a generous person necessarily yet, but I'm becoming one. And I've really studied a lot and thought a lot and meditated a lot on this whole subject of generosity. You know, what is it and how does it work? And I had this dream. Um, uh, it's been quite a number of years ago now that had this profound impact on my life. And it, it was kind of just this head trippy dream because I dreamed I was sleeping, if that can communicate. Does it make sense? Like I dreamed I was sleeping. And something woke me up. So I, in this dream, which is wild, I wake up, but I'm still dreaming. Okay, got following? All right. And I'm laying in bed, and I, 
I hear someone kind of rustling around downstairs. And in the dream, you know, my wife was sleeping. She didn't wake up. And I was like, who in the world would be downstairs in my house? Because all my, you know, my children were young and stuff. And I wasn't afraid, but I was curious. I was like, what in the world? And in the dream, as dreams go, I, I knew I had to go somewhere early, you know. So I got up and got dressed and stuff. And I went downstairs thinking who... And I heard him in my kitchen, you know, kind of clanging and banging around. And, and um, so I go in the kitchen, and the Lord, Jesus, is in my kitchen. And he's wearing this kind of, I, I don't know how to describe it, kind of a, a bathrobe type thing, you know, real casual, and had slippers on. And, and he was making coffee. And, you know... It was interesting, no one had to say, this is Jesus. You know, just, just look, I knew instantly who he was when I looked at him. And he says to me, hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning. And he said, I, I made you a cup of coffee. And so he had a cup of coffee and I did. And you know, I said, Lord, thank you so much. And he said, oh, I, I love you. And it was, it was one of those things that was so weird. It was like, you know, you think if you ever meet the Lord, you'd ask him a question, you know, like, hey, explain this whole end times thing, or, you know, you, you always think, like, you have this opportunity to ask, you know, trivia and different things, and, and it was just like I couldn't, it was just sort of like basking in his presence, it was just so abnormally normal to have him there, and he said, you, you, you probably need to go, you, you don't want to be late, and I said, Lord, um, thanks and thanks again. And I went to the door and you know got my keys and stuff. And I went out and I was just getting in my car, and the back door opened. And he poked his head out the back door and looked at me. and goes, "Hey, don't forget to be generous." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, <laughs> okay." <laughs> it was so. It reminded me so much of, of like my dad or my mom. Like if you'd go on a trip, you're going, you know, don't forget your toothbrush or you know. It was so. Like, it was, on one hand, so casual. But on the other hand, it struck me. It was like, man, this is really important because the last thing you say to someone when you're saying goodbye and they're leaving is something, you know, it's something important. It's something on your heart. It's, you know, expression of your love or it's something you really want them to remember. And I, you know, and when he said that and I I thought those thoughts and then I actually did wake up and I was laying in bed and I just hear ringing in my ears, the Lord saying, hey, don't forget to be generous. You know, it's wild because I was struck by the fact that, you know, he didn't say, don't forget to have great doctrine. You know, don't forget eschatology. You know, don't, don't forget the Ten Commandments. He, he didn't say that to me. He said, hey, don't, don't forget to be generous. I thought about that so much, I thought, wow, you know, it's kind of, kind of interesting that, like, generosity is this thing that I could forget. I could just forget in the course of the business of my day. Not think about, not be mindful of. And it was interesting because it set kind of a course for my life that was this desire in my heart to really understand, how does this work and what, what's the connection between generosity and you know where does it come from and and things like that i forgot to ask how do i switch to the next slide do i switch Switch. Ooh, that's awesome so this is probably um i think we would agree the most famous verse in the bible john three sixteen, and for good reason man it is just so powerful for god so loved the world that he gave and i i put that part in red on purpose for you to think about it for God so loved, so love is the beginning of generosity. It's what fuels it. And here's what I've learned working in missions and, and helping the poor, is that if we're moved by need, if that verse said, for God saw how needy and desperate and wicked and terrible we were, that he had to give his son, that the, it, it empties it of its power. That the motivation, the power behind generosity, the power to live, and it, it's really the only thing that keeps us in 
You know, have you ever heard of compassion fatigue? You know what that is? Like you, you minister to people and they don't say thank you and they treat you bad and they, you know, and you just get sick of it. You're like, I hate this. You just get fatigued. And I, I think generosity, ministering to the poor, helping others, preaching sermon, you know, whatever it is that we do that, that we're called in working in our jobs, you know, for the Lord. There's just this fatigue that comes if it's motivated by anything less than love. And I want, I want my life to be fueled by God's love. That's the fuel. And here's what's interesting. So God loves the world, so he gave that this generosity is an outcome. But it all starts with love. And love's a verb. Love's this active thing, and there's nothing greater than it. I, <laughs> I was coaching this business leader in my area, and he's got a pretty big business. And so he's the owner of the business. He's also the CEO. And he was telling me about some problems that he had and his business. And he said, you know, you're my coach. Tell me, what's the solution? I said, well, I got, I got the solution. And I said, the cool thing about it is it never fails. Just, it always works. And he's like, come on. I said, I'm serious. I said, I have the solution to your problem in business, and it never fails. It feels like taking the long cut instead of the shortcut sometimes. But I said, here's the solution. It's love. Love never fails. You can't fail if you're in love and you love. It's this powerful force. It's, it's the fuel in the engine. And what does God give? He gives His Son. He gives Himself in His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Next slide, please. There we go. So here's what I found out in doing development. You know, we, we bought these people out of slavery, and I was really praying about it because many of them, most of them that we redeemed out of slavery in Nepal, they had been slaves for four generations. Okay, did you, you understand four So like my grandpa, my dad, me, my son. That's, that's four generations. And, you know, I thought, hey, we can, we can redeem them out of slavery. You know, the money part wasn't hard. It was not real expensive. I mean, you know, I think the most we paid for, I bought a couple for 400 bucks, And then I bought a 65-year-old man because he was worn out and couldn't work anymore. I bought him for eight bucks. Think of that. I bought him like you'd buy a dog at the pound. Eight bucks. Couldn't read couldn't write, had just lived in slavery all of his life. And, and you think, hey, it's one thing to buy people out of slavery to get them out of slavery, but how do you get the slavery out of them? How do you help them to experience this, this freedom, this grace, this power that the Lord wants? And, you know, the United Nations, their model for development is actually their model, if you look at mine as a cycle, I don't get that much. This original is one of them. But they, they see, you know, I see development as a cycle. The United Nations and other organizations, USAID, sees it as a line. And it, it starts actually with them with need. So how development works in their minds is you're needy. You know, there's a huge amount of the population of our world that lives on about two bucks a day. So you're needy. And then you get an opportunity and that's where, you know, people give your help or whatever. And then as soon as you're sustainable, as soon as you're self-sustaining, you, 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 know, you know, you can feed yourself and close yourself, voila, you are developed. And I don't believe that at all. I believe that in actuality that all development is a cycle and it's, it's based on how God works, how God wants us to develop and that it actually starts with generosity or with love. You know, it's like, Again, God wasn't motivated by our need. He was motivated by his own love. And that's why we, we can exist in a place of love. Why we can come to the Lord's table and we can eat his body and drink his blood. We can, we can, we can gain the forgiveness and the grace and what we need from him because of his generosity, because of his great love for us. And so it starts there. And love always looks for a need to fill. Because love's a verb. It's something we do. And when that need is seen, then there's opportunity. 
And opportunity cycles to sustainability or to prosperity. And my definition of prosperity isn't like living in a palatial mansion and owning 50 cars. I believe that prosperity means producing more than you consume. When you are producing more than you consume, you are prospering. That's why I think financial peace is so important. Because I believe that part of the goal of the enemy is to constrict our lives, to bring a spirit of poverty on us where... You know, we are servant to the lender where we live in this situation where we find it difficult to produce even what we need to consume. And I believe that the good news of the gospel is that God has come to set us free from that. And so in working with people in Nepal and in Africa and other countries, you know, we explain this to them. We say, listen, you're not an object of our charity. You know, you're an object of our love. You're a partner with us in God, what God wants to do. And that as you develop, as you have certain needs met, and then it creates opportunity, and and you come to a point where you produce more than you consume, but you're not fully developed until you help other people do the same thing. And the cycle just continues. We've all heard of a cycle of poverty, right? I believe the only way to break that, it's not a cycle of consumerism or something like that it's it's a cycle of generosity and so that's why you know my vision is seeing everyone in the world living in a cycle of generosity fueled by god's love that's what it is and so next i want to introduce you to a friend of mine this is Scylla, and Scylla lives in a place in kenya called kakamega Scylla is a hiv positive widow when I met her, <clears throat> her husband had died, and what happened was her husband had been unfaithful to her, had contracted HIV, came home and gave it to her, and then he died. And so she's not, when I met her, she wasn't just dealing with the pain of infidelity and the betrayal of what that is, but also that in, in essence you could say, you know, her husband had killed her just as surely as he shot a gun, but the bullet just travels real slow. She was just totally broken, just sorrowing. So her, her poverty was more than lack of money. It was just all these things that had happened in her life, and she felt so broken, and she couldn't afford her HIV medication. She couldn't afford to send her children to school. And when we met her, I told her, I said, hey, we love you. And I said, you know, the Bible gives instructions for how we're supposed to take care of widows. And I said to her, <laughs> I'm supposed to either encourage you to get married again or help you become a businesswoman, one of the two. And she laughed. She goes, well, I've been married before. I don't need a husband. You know. <laughs> what, is it? what do you mean businesswoman? I said, well, you know, I'm supposed to teach you how to work hard with your hands and help you. And if you want, you know, we, we want to help you do that. And so we took her through a little bit of business training and helped her. And we loaned Scylla 35 bucks. 35 bucks. So Scylla, so taking you through the generosity cycle, okay? So we saw Scylla, we love her. She has the dignity of being a woman, of being a mother. And that we just treat her like with dignity and say, hey, we love you, we want to help you. And what are the needs in your life? And we want to recognize what they are and we want to help you and I want to create an opportunity for you. And so Scylla started a, a little store in her home with that $35. And she became such a good businesswoman. We taught her these principles from the scriptures on how to run a small business. And she was amazing. And within a short period of time, Scylla was paying for her children's education, buying food, clothing, supporting herself, and, and being generous to others. And then what was really interesting... Scylla came to us and she said, you know, if the Lord doesn't return and I'm going to die, I, unless he does a miracle, I have, you know, an incurable disease. It's, and I, I worry most about my children. I want them to be educated and I can work and support them. But she said, and this woman, she has a, three years of education, okay? So she went to the third grade. She said, I've been thinking it through, and I won't be here probably 
And she said, what I've done, she had a little piece of land. She said, I planted trees on my land. And what I want you to promise is that if I pass away before my children have their education paid for, I want you to let, take these trees and, and harvest them as they're needed and sell them and pay for my kids' education. And we, we were like, that doesn't make any sense. There's not enough trees here. Or, you know, it just sounded crazy to us. And, and so we actually talked to a forester from the local university, and he came and checked it out and said, this woman is really smart. She absolutely has enough trees on her property to pay for her children's entire education. And we made up this saying that came from that experience. We said, solutions to poverty are found among the poor. Part of generosity means that we respect and understand that we need. I need Scylla as bad as she needs me. You know what the Bible says? It says, God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that God has promised to those who love him. And I, I believe there's this exchange. I believe what I need from Scylla and why I love her and want to be generous to her is I need her generosity too. I, I need her to pray for me. I need her faith active in my life because she's rich in faith. I'm rich in material goods. The same thing in Nepal when we bought people out of slavery and set them free and helped them in what they were doing. You know, they began fasting and praying uh, every Thursday for their people group and they asked us what they could pray for us. And that's, the Lord spoke to me so clearly and he said, there's a quality in the body of Christ. He said, you're rich in worldly goods. You're able to buy them out of slavery, but what you're not rich in is faith and inheritance of the kingdom of God. Did you ever wonder why, you know, you hear these missionary stories of people being raised from the dead and miracles happening in other countries. And it's just kind of funky. It's like, well, what? what about the U.S.? Come on now. Did God's power disappear with the invention of refrigeration? Or what, you know, what's the deal? <laughs> you know what I believe with all my heart it is? God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of this world to be rich in faith. Want to hear a cool story? It could go to this afternoon. If you are this easy to talk to, I, I could go long. You're going to have to watch with me the time and you know, give me a signal. <clears throat> so we, we redeemed these people out of slavery. and There's some of these uh, ex-Kamayas you know, who, who went to live in a town. And this is in a part of Nepal, which is a country between India and China. And the place where we work in the southern... Tarai is really, you know, there's a lot of persecution of Christians. The, you know, it's a headquarters for the BJP and Shiva Shena and some other pretty radical Hindu organizations. And, and so we had uh, one of our guys went back to his village. And to make a long story short, you know, we, showed, we got a copy of the Jesus film and showed it. And, you know, all these people came to the Lord and stuff. And we started a church there. And I went over there to train our leaders, and one of our elders there, he, he'd been a Christian for six months, which was longer than anyone else, so he was an elder, you know. And um, <laughs> we broke every church planning rule you could imagine, and, uh, but we did plant 30-some churches. So anyway, uh, this guy was talking to me at this training, and he said, Tim, I've got to tell you a story. He said, I was in my village, and, you know, we started this church and stuff, and he said, one night, you know, my neighbor was real sick. He had cholera. And one, one night, um, my wife kind of elbowed me awake and said, hey, I think the neighbor died because I hear all these people wailing, you know, over there. You better, you better go over. So he gets dressed, goes over to the neighbor's house. Sure enough, his neighbor, the man, was dead. And they had his body on a table, kind of laid on a table near the door so that his ghost would go out and not, you know, trouble anyone that owed him money or something. And so he goes over, and everyone's like weeping and wailing. And they have this Hindu shaman there, this kind of witch doctor guy. And he's like pulling his ears and chanting and burning incense and doing all this stuff for about 20 minutes. And then he turns to the widow of this, this guy, and he goes, I'm, I'm sorry, he's gone. I've done everything we can. And then they just really started, you know, weeping and wailing and stuff like that. And so this shaman leaves. And... So my, my friend goes to the widow and he says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry about your loss. And, you know, my wife and I became Christians about six months ago and we'll, we'll really pray for you and, and just, you know, anything you need, you let us know. 
you know. And so kind of what you say to people at funerals. And, and so, so anyway, um, this widow says to him, what are you talking about? Isn't, isn't Christianity like about the resurrection or something like that? And, you know, isn't there something you can do? Oh, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, we'll pray for you and God's comfort and, you know, peace and stuff. And the neighbors now who are all crowded around are getting belligerent. They're like, yeah, at least the Hindu priest tried to do something. And they shamed him into it. And he's like, oh, no. And this was so fun because this wasn't, you know, I heard this story from this, you know, this guy I know personally, we led to the Lord. And he said, Tim, they, they just shamed me into it. I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And he said, I went up, and I love this, it's so cool, because they don't know how to, like, if this happened here, we'd all take the show on the road, you know, be on TV, like, and then I, you know. And, and he, he was just, like, so real. He said, I went up there, and he said, the guy was really dead. And he said, I stood there, and he said, I reached out, and I put my hand on his forehead, and he said, Tim, his head was as cold as a stone. And he said, the minute I touched him, all faith left my body. <laughs> like Elvis has left the building. He said, all faith left my body. And he said, he just slung his head down like this and had his, his hand on the guy's head and he said, then he prayed. And I said, well, what did you pray? And he said, all I prayed was, oh, God, what do I even do in a situation like this? And he said, the minute he said that, the man's head became warm and he sat up off the table. And get this, okay? This is a very no-Christianity-known persecution place. The man sits up, and everyone who's wailing and weeping... He, the, my, my friend told me that almost, it, it just stopped like this. Like, and they're looking at him. And the man looks around and goes, Hey, I'm hungry. Is there anything to eat? And his wife goes, um, There's yogurt in the kitchen? And he goes, That'll do. And when he said that'll do, pandemonium. And these people started jumping him down. It wasn't pretty. Like It wasn't like, Oh, praise the Lord. It was like, Yeah! like shrieking and running around and you know like grabbing my friend violently and shaking him and just like ah, ah. And, and this guy is sitting up on the table eating yogurt and this shaman who is walking heard the like ah, you know this massive shouting and everything and he comes back and this guy he's a powerful guy okay he's not a fake he's has connection to dark spiritual power and he comes up and sees, you know, the wife just weeping and hugging the husband, the hu- husband eating yogurt, and he says, well, I did this. He said, it just usually takes about 20 minutes for my stuff to take hold. And these people who were afraid of this guy before, these are not believers, they grab him and they shake him and they said, no, Jesus did this, and they threw him out of the building onto the ground. We had people walk a hundred miles from India because they heard about that. But people come to that place and say, we heard, we, we had newspapers in India write, write about it because people came there hearing that Jesus was there. You know, there's this, I, I do, I think there's a connection between generosity and the release of spiritual power. And, I, you know, that story is so cool to me because, it's again, it's people I know. It's not, you know, well, I heard this from this guy and, you know, some story and, you know, whatever. And I, When they said they were going to start fasting and praying for us, I was like, man, that is the most so generous and I need generosity. I need you to pray for me. And I asked the Lord, what should I be praying for? And the Lord said, well, you know, you redeemed them out of slavery, but you're a slave too. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, yeah, you are. The fact that you say that means you are. He said, your chains are gold, but they're still chains. He said, you are a slave to materialism. You're a slave to an empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. And that's what Jesus came to redeem you from. And you need them as bad as they need you. And that's why there's equality. And you need to look to them as they look to you. You need to know in your heart, 
You need them to pray for you because they are rich in faith and can give you something you don't have. And so they started fasting and praying for us. They wanted to pray for me because they said, hey, you're the guy who brought the gospel to us. And I told them that's what I want prayer for. And, and what was really funny, in about the first six months, you know, they, they were praying, like, my name is Tim, and they mistakenly thought my name was Tom. So they were praying for about six months and fasting for Pastor Tom. So I know some pastor named Tom out there was doing really, really well. He was getting all freed up and spiritual power, you know, flowing in his life. <laughs> so it was just really funny. But the reality is, see, I need something from Scylla. I need something from her. This, you know, she has full-blown AIDS. She's a widow. She, she just... In many ways, when you look at her, just look weak and foolish and poor, and yet I need Scylla's prayers, and I need her love. I need her generosity in my life as well. Next. So what's generosity? Well, I believe generosity is contributing to the success of others fueled by God's love. That's a pretty simple definition, but I think all of us know we've given stuff at times that hasn't contributed to people's success, right? You know, Someone wants a handout or something, and, and you know, which is great. I really do believe, and if we if we err in any direction, I'd rather err being too generous. Really, this is my my problem. I doubt I stand before the Lord and I'm like you were just way too generous. I I, I don't know that He's going to say that. <laughs> it's going to be more like you're stingy. And Christ comes to us sometimes, like Ren Manning said, He comes to us in a distressing disguise, so He looks like a homeless person. So. You know, I, I don't believe we should be cynical in giving. However, I do believe that we should be contributing to the success of others. And I believe that sometimes generosity, just giving in and of itself, actually wrecks people, that it hurts them. And so I also believe that if that's fueled by God's love, though, that he'll guide us. And I also believe it means first giving ourselves and then our resources like time, energy, and money. See, it's, it's easy to give, sometimes easy to give money or whatever. It's tougher to give ourselves. And I want, I want to encourage you in this. I meet a lot of people who, they're kind of all or nothing in their thinking, which all or nothing thinking, if you ever talk to a psychology major or something, they'll, they'll tell you it's a, it's a thinking error. It's a, it's a pattern of thinking. that. And so a lot of times as believers, I think, you know, when we think generosity, we think, oh, I've got to either give every single thing I have away or, you know, hoard it all. And, and I think it, it traps us or tricks us because there's this teaching in the scripture about being faithful with little. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. And so we kind of know it a little bit with finances. Like when I first got saved, you know, people talked to me about giving and, you know, you kind of give a little bit or whatever and you practice and you kind of test the Lord and then all of a sudden this stuff starts happening and you're like, this giving your money thing is a pretty good idea. Well, it's the same thing with your time and energy. I just want to encourage you, you know, in giving yourself away. I love that U2 song. It, it, you know, and he, he, about he gives himself away. I'm not going to sing for you. You're lucky. This <laughs> is, and you give yourself away, and you give yourself away. And I really believe this is a, a tremendous thing that we, we learn... Because what it does is it decompartmentalizes our life. Because if I wake up in the morning and I say, you know what, I'm alive. I'm, I'm living in this place of love. God gave his son and then Jesus said to his disciples, as my father sent me, so I'm sending you. Like you're a gift from God to the world. You know? Some people act like they are, you know, aren't. But it, we really are. And that's why... This thing of not compartmentalizing your life, if, you know, like, hey, this is work, and, you know, this is my spiritual life, and, you know, this is church. It's just this one big thing where we're going with God through this divine adventure, and we're, we're, we're living to be generous. We're living to give ourselves away, to the answer to people's needs around us. And that's why even the most mundane things in life, I mean, if your job is picking up gravel off the road in North Dakota, I mean, it's just the most basic thing ever. If you're fueled by God's love, you get him to say, hey, you know what, there's no, I'm in God's presence at church, and then I retreat from his presence, and then I run back to get my, you know, more, and go to a small group to get my fix, and, you know, it's not like that. It's like, I get up and live this divine adventure, where you say, hey, every day is this great opportunity for me to be generous, 
that anything I do in my work in serving people, if I work at McDonald's and I'm making burgers, it's like, man, you know, I get to serve. I get to be generous with my time and my energy and see, serve a basic need of people who are hungry. All of a sudden, the mundane becomes miraculous. And it happens by the power of love that fuels our generosity. It's a key to releasing great spiritual power and blessing. And it's an antidote to the spirit of poverty. Do you know what a spirit of poverty is? Spirit of poverty, have you heard about that before? So spirit of poverty is this you know, mental stronghold or sometimes I believe actual spiritual one where, and, and it's not just among the poor. You know, some of the richest people I've ever met in my life have a spirit of poverty. There's inability to enjoy whatever they have. They can't enjoy it. And they live in a fear of losing and, and an inability to be hospitable. And some of the most hospitable and generous people I've ever met are the poorest of the poor who they kill their last chicken for you and won't even eat it. They'll sit and watch you and they get this tremendous vicarious enjoyment out of you eating their chicken. That is hard, man. See, again, I, I believe there's an aspect of justice where we need to be loved and ministered to by the poor. That makes sense. And the spirit of poverty is this feeling of lack. You know, I work a lot because of my nonprofit organizations and because I'm a business coach. I get hired by nonprofit mission organizations to do coaching with them. And I can tell you what, man, there's just on many of them this fear that they'll never have enough and they're always out of money. And, you know, boy, and, and you can kind of smell it. Like, do you know this? Like, how many like to go to thrift stores? Me too. I dig thrift stores. I own a thrift store, actually. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, <clears throat> but do you know that smell in some thrift stores? Like you go in, it's like, oh my gosh. It, it, it's, it's kind of the smell of a spirit of poverty. You know, I, this, I'm going to sound real wacko here. Real wacko and mystical and, you know, stuff. And, but I used to go into this, I used to go in this um, thrift store that I really liked because it was near a, a very well-to-do campus of a college, and they had all this great, I mean, incredible clothes there that people left at school, and the school just, you know, so you buy this really great stuff. And we go in there sometimes, you feel it and smell it. It was like a smell. And I would go out in the parking lot, and I'd say, a spirit of poverty, get the heck out of here. Get out. And it's like, Lord, come with your blessing. This is a place where people can come and afford clothing, and it's it's for needs and it's for your glory. And I would go in and the lights would be brighter in the building. It was just the wildest thing. And so I do believe that there's kind of on a spiritual level something like that. I believe it's a stronghold in our own minds, something like that. But it's this inability to celebrate. This friend who's a multimillionaire and I went to his house one time for a cookout with my wife and he invited some other friends. He cooked everyone one hamburger. I'm not kidding you. They were good. They were those fatty, old school, you know, like you chopped up onions and put them in the hamburger meat and, you know, goobied them up and they were like that thick and he cooked them just right and stuff. But he, he had us all there. He had one extra one. And he told everyone before we started, he goes, hey, you know, we've got food here and stuff, but I don't take more than one hamburger. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This really... and. I told my wife, I said, I can't wait to get out of here. I didn't like, like it sm the food smelled good and stuff like that, but his inability to celebrate, his inability to enjoy himself, his inability to party with his friends and be delighted that they're having a good time. See, if you went to a party that Jesus threw, there were like always 12 baskets of fish and bread left over, like way more than was needed. They were like, you went to a wedding where he was catering? There was enough wine to get everyone like comatose drunk. <laughs> and it wasn't grape juice. <laughs> comatose drunk. Everyone needed a designated driver if they, if they would have drunk what was there. Because there's this, there's this place of abundance. You were conceived. Not to get too graphic, but you, you were conceived in abundance. There was, you can see, there was way more material <laughs> to produce you. It would have, like, produced a whole village. I mean, you, trust me, I mean, you were conceived in abundance. 
And there's this place where the enemy would like to lock us into this place of just a fear that there's never enough and never can be. And then what's crazy is there, it's, it, you know, if I just had this, if I just had that, and then, you know, just, if I just made more money, I was just, and, and there, you know, someday I'll be happy and someday I'll be satisfied and they just, ne- they never get there. They can't. I believe generosity is the antidote. Generosity is how you break that when you're generous with your time and your energy and your life and your money. You may not even have, you might be a widow who has two mites, two little pennies. It's, it's not the amount. It's the spirit that gives it. It's the heart behind it. And the Lord will bless it. Next slide. This is what the Lord says in Isaiah 58. And I love this. It's kind of one of these conditional scriptures where he tells you, I'm going to do something for you if you, if you do something. Ever, are you tracking with me when I say conditional? You know what I mean? Like, if you do this, I will do that. Here's what he says. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, everyone say then. then. Ooh, that sounded so good. Say it again. Then. then, then. Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. See, I, I do. I believe with all my heart there's a connection between generosity and healing the sick, spiritual power being released. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. How, what, think about that. Think about if you went to the store, and before you ever got to the store, people said, oh, man, I feel, I feel something. It, it, feels this, it just feels so pure. Just something, something right is about to happen. And then, and then you walk in. And then when you leave, it's like this wake of glory where people are just kind of feeling the presence of the Lord and His glory when you leave. I mean, that, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I, mean, I don't know how you interpret it, but that's what it looks like it says to me in plain language. Then how about this? Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he'll say, here am I. That he'll show up in our prayers that we'll pray and stuff will happen. I just want to show, um, next slide, and we're going to be done. <clears throat> I just want to tell you about this quick because I believe that we need to end by, by praying about this and thinking about this. Um, There's a project I'm doing in Uganda, and it's in a place called Bamba, and all these young guys here are orphaned, older orphan boys or at-risk, you know, young men. And I have a hobby, which is really strange, making knives. So I'm a custom knife maker. I've been doing that for like 20 years. And um, I make chef knives and hunting, you know, I make everything. And, and um, so I was in Uganda one time at one of our projects. And how Scylla completed the generosity cycle with her tree idea is we saw the brilliance of it, and so we started another organization called Forest of Hope, and we, we, I can plant $10 worth of trees and pay for one orphan's entire education because we harvest them and sell them. I got about $1.5 to $2 million worth of trees right now planted in Africa because of Scylla, a widow with three years of education, the brilliance that she had in coming up with that idea. So she, she's so amazing in her generosity. But I was coming home from Uganda, and I, I was feeling peckish. I was feeling like I don't want to talk to anyone or be friendly. Just go drink a beverage at the airport and, and try to relax a little. And I got this call, and this gal who works for me, she's a soil scientist from OSU who works for me in Africa, called me and she said, I want you to stop at a hotel on your way to the airport and meet this guy, Dr. Tenwa. And I said, Melissa, I'm tired. I, I just, I don't think I can even be friendly. I, I'm, you know, I'm a real directive personality in many ways. And I said, I just, I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to go home to Sugar Creek, Ohio. And she goes, you're going to stop and you're going to talk to him and you're going to be nice. <laughs> I'm like, so I stopped at this hotel and met this guy you know, graduate of OSU, he's a professor in Uganda now, and, and he starts telling me this stuff, and I'm kind of underwhelmed, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and, and, and then he suddenly says, I got this group of young guys, and he said, we don't make anything in Uganda anymore, and he said, I've got this group of young guys I'm working with, and I wanted them to teach them to make something, 
And I'm not kidding you, I'm sitting there sipping coffee, you know, half-heartedly, and he goes, you know, you can't buy a good knife in Uganda. So they're all either made in China or India. And he said, if in the first world you think the stuff you get is not that high quality, think of what we get, which is bottom of the barrel. And he said, I wanted to teach these guys how to make knives, but I, I don't know where to start. And so last week I prayed, and I said, Lord, please help me meet someone who can tell me something about making knives. And I was like, here I am. You know? <laughs> that was three years ago. And so I've been going every year and teaching these guys, and it's just been so much fun. And what, what's so cool about it is, is it's this ridiculous hobby in my life. Like, it just, it's so kind of crazy. And even people are kind of scared sometimes. I tell my knife maker, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> you aren't psycho, are you? <laughs> no, don't be alarmed. I won't kill you. <laughs> but here's what happened. Years ago, I told the Lord, I said, I don't know if I could be generous with my knife making, but if you could ever use it, I just put it on the altar. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And you know what's crazy? I got crazy stuff. Like the knife-making community, I don't know if that even sounds funny to you, but knives are a big deal, like people collect them and stuff. And, and I got all these people. I take knife-makers with me. Who I, take a guy, I took a guy from Alabama, never been out of the country, never been to an airport. 53 years old, had never been to an airport. Flies over with me. He's real big and tattooed. He looks like Steve Austin, the wrestler, you know, with the bald head. And, and he just hugged babies and cried and taught guys to make knives. He was just wrecked. He was just, he was just wrecked. And, and he'll, he'll be going with me again. But, but here, here, here's the point I'm making. I show you this slide to say, you, you could be sitting here thinking, well, it's great to talk about generosity. I don't have anything to give. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And what I like to do is... Just close by having a chance to pray over you. And <clears throat> I, feel like, I feel like the Lord wants to bring a freedom here. He wants to free us. Free us from fear that there won't be enough or that we can't do certain things because of lack of resource. And I just want to pray for freedom. And then also, I, I feel like I'm supposed to pray over Anyone who has something, and they're like me, like, Lord, this is such a goofy hobby. I just don't know how you would ever use it. But if you could use knife making to, for some way to bring you glory, I just, I want to offer it to you. So it could be like your business. It could be, you know, you could have a wild hobby too. Um, it could be anything. We just long. This place of longing for generosity in your heart. You know, to understand and to know. I just, I believe there's so much power in secret giving and alms. You know, as a pastor, we used to send people to churches, and churches that didn't like us, that prayed against us. I'm serious. We used to sneak people in there and give them fatty wads of cash and just say, don't tell anyone, show anyone, but just when the offering comes around, just fire that fatty wad of cash in there. Don't even tell us which church you went to. It just released unbelievable things. And so, I'm just going to pray, you know, kind of general, and then I want to pray over anyone who wants to come forward, and you feel like me, there was something, you know, I wanted to, as it were, lay on the altar and say, Lord, if you can use, you know, I don't care what it is, if you can use my knitting needles, you know, if you can use my cooking skills, if you could, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, my business, my whatever. Um, and we, we don't have a lot of time, so um, I don't know how to be dramatic. So if you just get up and come up if you want to get prayed for, and then it's just you're all going to come and hang out here, and I'll just pray and pray over you, pray a general prayer, and we'll be done unless there's something else the Lord wants. But um, Okay, so I can't sing just as I am or anything like that. You just have to, like, get up. And... I re- like I said, I don't know how to be dramatic and just kind of if you have something you want to lay on the altar, just or as it were, just come up here. I I really feel, especially like I, I really feel if, that the Lord wants to touch um, some entrepreneurial people here. That there's entrepreneurs, there's people who you know that you have a calling to start some business or businesses, and um, you know there's a 
There's some kingdom connection to that. I want to. In fact, if if that if, if there's anyone here who's kind of you've been feeling that, just raise your hand if you feel like you're good. Okay. All right. I, I do. I, I feel like there's some people here. Like your danger would be thinking too small. Um, I, I haven't arrived or anything, but I I own several businesses. I I own a couple of them are really big, and it just worked out in this weird way and has this weird, I probably need to hire a business coach to get me to focus, you know, and stuff, but, but it's just weird, but I believe it's part of my calling. I want to give. I have a goal, I told the Lord, before I go to meet you, I want to write a check for a million bucks. I want to write a check for a million dollars, one in six zeros, and sign my name, and I want to give that. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm closer now than when I first prayed in and I believe that some of you have that calling. It's, it's in you. There's something entrepreneurial in you. There's something entrepreneurial. It's spiritual entrepreneurialism, I think, too. There's, there's just, I just sense witty inventions. I sense um, just insight that's coming and some stuff that's going to be birthed. So we'll just be quiet a minute, and then I'll pray here. Lord, I... I just bless your Holy Spirit who is resting on your children here this morning. Lord, I ask just for freedom. I just pray for a breaking of any spirit of poverty, a breaking of the strongholds, the houses of thoughts in our minds that kind of keep us jailed, that keep us from really enjoying life and enjoying the abundance. Lord, we can go into a gas station and buy like 50 different types of gum. It's just, there's just abundance around us and and we're just we just don't see it just open our eyes lord in the name of jesus just break off of us any spirit of poverty any inability to enjoy what we have which is a route to just satisfaction in life and peace now i bless you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you. I bless those, Lord, who are standing here who have the desire to give, who have brought something to the altar, who have sensed you tugging at them. And Lord, freely I've received and freely I give. Just any little grace, Lord, that I have that you've called me to deposit today, Lord, I just release it right now. Lord, I bless those who've been called to be entrepreneurial. And I just ask that you would open just open like the wombs Lord of their hearts that they would give birth Lord and just be sort of pregnant with the child of promise and just give birth and see it grow and Father I just speak your blessing over John over this church and pray Lord this will be a place of financial peace this will be a place of great generosity, a place of a release of your power. and Lord, help us to give ourselves and to know that we, we can only give what we purpose in our heart and that we don't, it doesn't matter. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid of the poor or afraid of orphans or afraid of things that, you know, we don't have to put on a mask and pretend. We just be and just say, I can give this little piece of me right now and I'm, I want to give more.